All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome. Hello. Shalom, Malka Fleischer. Welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show. That's right. And it's now, Malka, it's my show is spreading out, Malka. It's what now does that on, mean? It's now on JNS. That's so cool, Ishai. Right, that's right. So. I want to say that I really like your new um, show thumbnail, which yes. is the tiny picture that goes with the show. Right. It there's, looks good. There's me and there's Jerusalem. Yeah. I'm very, I've, I feel very honored and lucky about that. And uh, I got to give a shout out uh, to my friend Rafi, also known as, uh, he's got a nickname, Rafi the Kid. It's an old nickname that I gave him when he was just a kid. Yes, and now, now he's, he's a young man. But he's like listed in my phone as Rafi the Kid, okay? I don't know. Some some people get a nickname, you know? That's cool. it, it doesn't, it, you know, I wanted a nickname, but it never happened. I just stuck with my name. Although my nickname in all kinds of circles is Fleischer. Fleischer. And and I told yesterday, somebody at the Knesset said to me, Fleischer. I'm like, I hate that name. And the lady says to me, Ugh. she's goes, her name, her name is Neely Kadosh. Okay? <laughs> her name is Neely Kadosh. Neely. Well, I'm sorry that you're not Moroccan, okay? Right? And, and her last name is Kadosh. I'm like, oh man, what a great name you have. She's like, love Fleischer. The Maxime. It's wonderful, Fleischer. I'm like, okay. Anyway. <laughs> <coughs> so yeah, what's that sound, Ishai? Right, the other sound that you'll hear is a little bit of a, a nasally coffee, yeah. Ishai, and that's because uh, I am nasally in coffee because of uh, uh, the, the illness. Finally, catching the c word, the cold. Okay, oh, I God finally, forbid you should never have the c word. That's right. No, there's the there's the it, now. This is not God Corona forbid, or anything forbid. else. This is this is. This is the common cold. It could be a corona. Who knows? We don't check for it anymore, so no, we have no, no idea. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There used to be this thing called a cold. Everybody around me had a cold. I was fighting it like a like a like a like a special forces warrior. Yes. Okay. I was like fighting it like Rambo out there, and then uh, I, I succumbed to uh, succumbed to the um, a cold. So there it is. You're all right. I'm I'm wearing pajamas right now. I've got I've got a, a ski hat fluffy on, hat. fluffy hat with a with a pom pom with a pom pom. So. There you go, friends. But Baruch Hashem, listen, um, wow, uh, I'm not sure if it's just my life yeah, or the real life of Israel, but like things are fast and furious out there. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Well, one thing one thing went on is that uh, the protesters against this government and against judicial reform were in Jerusalem en masse. And I happen, here, here is the funniest thing. I happen to have had a meeting that I scheduled with an Arab from East Jerusalem, Eastern Jerusalem, who is uh, aligned with not exactly the best people, Marwan Barghouti, a, a murderer. Why would you meet with him? So I met with him, and he's also aligned with uh, Mahmoud uh, Dahlan out in Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, another Palestinian kind of a guy. Now, he wanted to meet with me. Okay. He wanted to meet with me because we debated on, uh, on I-24. You heard yeah. that debate last week. Yes. And he wanted to meet with me. Did he like plant like a tracker chip on your stuff? You know what? It wasn't like that at all. It was a very like it was a very uh, a serious. Now, now we went in and we met at Cinema City. There's tons of cafes at Cinema City. There's tons of restaurants, but the place was packed. I mean, I'm not talking about packed, regular packed. Well, that was the day of the that was the day of the, the protest. So people would come and get their coffee and a snack. Right. So protesters, they can't just. Protest. Well, you gotta, you're you gotta, out. You know what I mean. Yeah. Plus, they're like you know from cool cities and stuff, so they're used to right. you know checking out the culture. What's there to eat? Right. That's kind of funny. So they came from Tel Aviv to protest in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and 
You can't this is still their country. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't mean that in any derogatory way. It's just funny. Yeah. It's just a funny thing. Like all these protesters were signed, like standing in line for a latte. Okay. Right. So we, the place was, I mean, we're talking about 20,000 people came out to this and they were all located there. So there was like. Wait, didn't, didn't Haaretz call it like 100,000 people? That's bogus. I was there. I saw it. It was, it was 20,000 people. It was a lot of people, thank God. But it wasn't like something like insane. It was just a lot of people. Anyway, certainly at the time that I was there in the early morning. Yeah. But the funny thing was is that the Cinema City shopping area was full, full, full of people. That's nice. So we couldn't find a place to sit down. Ah. So finally, and this is the funniest thing, we ordered coffee at McDonald's. What? You know, shy. You can't touch that stuff. It says kosher. It's kosher. It is, I guess the coffee's okay. I had the some coffee. The coffee's for sure okay. How was it? It How was, was McDonald's coffee? It was fine. It took not less than 25 minutes to get. 25 minutes to get a cup of coffee? Because of the lines. It was hilarious. Finally, finally we found the place. So me, me and this Palestinian activist are getting a Mickey D coffee in kosher, Jerusalem. Kosher, kosher Mickey, Mickey D coffee. coffee in Jerusalem with like you know, left-wing protesters. Left-wing protesters all around us. And he goes to me, he says to me, this is the picture of the year. Did you take a selfie? Yeah, we took a selfie. Yeah. Aw. I took a selfie. And in the meantime, so so here's the thing. We ordered the coffee on the machines. Yeah. But then we were standing around. It wasn't coming out. They're like, no, no, no. You got to go to this the coffee bar, which had a huge line of people. Anyway, but he, being a real Middle Easterner, like figured out how to get into that line, maybe cut some people off. I don't know. But, you know, yeah. but he got the coffee. In the meantime, he was gone for like a good 10 wow. minutes. He was gone in the line. And I was, I had stuff on the phone and this net. So then a, a protester walks right by me, a, a nice guy, nice looking guy, like a tall Israeli nice guy. Jew, yeah. He was a nice Jew and he had a flag of Israel. No, he had a rainbow flag okay. and a smaller flag of, of, of Israel superimposed like on it. it. Yeah, fixed to it. Thank you. That's exactly right. So I, I said to myself, hey, first, can I take a selfie with you? And I took a selfie with the rainbow flag really? with the flag of Israel. You didn't see it? No, I didn't see that one. Get Is out. on Facebook? Get out of town. I'm not on Facebook that much. I put did on, you put it on Twitter? I think so, yeah. And that tweet did very well. Huh. Uh, I, I put up this picture of me and him, and I'm smiling, and, 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 he's, and we had a great time. And then I said to him, and then I started talking with him. I'm like, listen, I just want to ask you. And I didn't like identify myself as like. Look at you, Isha. I think <clears throat> you can be pretty well identified from the outside. You know what? Yeah. You know what? I'm cool I mean, like more that. More or less. You know what more I mean? More or less. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't slapping anybody with my tzitzes. Okay. I was no. just. I was just talking calmly, and I was really in a great mood. And I really without. But you're fr- obviously a friendly, nice guy who friendly, wanted to have nice a guy. nice guy conversation. Absolutely. Who okay, and so. who wanted to hear him out? So literally. What did you ask him? So I said to him, like, what's it all about? What What are you guys really protesting? Ah. And he says, well, we're protesting, you know, the, the, the limitations on freedom. I'm like, which ones? What do you mean? Specifically, like you're saying, what are they? And within a few minutes, it was clear that there was nothing. And he says to me towards the middle of the conversation, he goes, yeah, there's no specific laws that are right now endangering. I'm like, you agree with me that it can't be that judges like uh, pick themselves. You agree with me that, 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 uh, that um, what else we have right now on the... Uh, uh, the judicial reform uh, uh, docket uh, uh, that the Supreme Court shouldn't be able to like willy-nilly overturn you know laws of, uh, of of the Knesset without any kind of recourse all kinds of stuff like that you agree with me I said to him these are normal things of, of democracy you can't have you know that in England by the way you, the, the court cannot even overturn a law that that, that was made by by no, Parliament you just can't do it so he goes yeah <laughs> he says bottom line 
we're afraid of where it's all going. Yeah, that is for sure. That I believe. Right. He's like, we're afraid of where it's all going. And where's this going? That's what he says. So I it's said to him. It's a conservative, religiously right. oriented country. So, right. So, th- so, right. I, so, so I said to him, is this correct that you're concerned that it's becoming a more traditional, more conservative, more right wing country? He goes, yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. Right. So, so the. What I understood, and he, by the way, was speaking very well and obviously a Zionist. Well, he had an Israeli flag on I'm his saying, flag. I'm saying he was talking to me not right, as some Right, he's not trying guy. to destroy the country. Right. He likes the country. Right. He likes the country as it is, basically. By the way, I thought to myself, the perfect place to have had Chabad come out and put on that some tefillin really folks funny. was at the Israelis. I bet Israelis. there were. There had to have been. No, I think, I think we have to have, a, like, a, the Chabad's got to have, like, a roving, uh, you know, rally Mobile, where wherever there's like a big Israeli rally, they should come there and put fill on people. In any case, they came to Yerushalayim, they drank the, the latte, and they said, "Listen, I don't, I'm afraid of where it's going." And I said to him, "I don't think that anybody here wants to make limitations on you and your lifestyle." You know, I don't know if you're right. Okay, I think that will be. I think that will be a thing that will be debated. Like you, you and I, we may find feel that people should be in terms of religion that people should be uh, coming to their religious beliefs out of love out of their personal growth and have the freedom to come to it as they do yeah i want but they're not not everyone feels that way and that is going to be something that is going to be debated as we progress right so 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 and we even had a situation this week in which it blew up this debate over over religious freedom and that was over the piece of legislation that shas brought up to do something to do like it, it was a little. It became a little bit less clear as the story unfolded. But to do something to do with not offending people at the hotel, and there was an understanding that the law had to do with what what people wear, for example, a dress code for the dress for the code Western at the, Wall, at the Western Wall, right. what you can and cannot wear at the Western Wall, and then it caused like a nationwide freakout. I myself was very irritated. I'll just say out loud, I was very irritated by bringing this legislation now, as much as I am a person who. Uh, clearly wants there to be respect and and um dignity at a at a religious site wants there to be like a an air of awe at a religious site Mm -hmm. i i I believe in that all the way right but like i didn't think that this legislation was timed well at all i didn't think that it was something that we needed to discuss right now just make it clear we're talking about a legislation that that yes. seemed to have been saying that there should be like a dress code at the western right. wall and that if you don't follow the dress code right. that you get like fines or jail time i just thought that it was like no like right. i was not i am not into that for sure like we're not there like the nation right. of israel is not there and I don't think that it looked good at all for religious people when this piece of legislation came out. And then, as much as I do understand that we want to preserve the honor of these places. And then there was this gal. Yes, this there person. was there was a gal who, yes. who person of a female persuasion right. who came to the wet female part of the Western Wall, right, wearing like a bathing suit, a bikini type thing, bathing suit. I, <laughs> you know, I thought to myself, it was a cold day, so I was like, wow. Yeah, she must really mean it. That's, that, that's some that's some that's some good street theater. I thought it was great street theater. I always appreciate. Yeah, street but it's theater, like right? it's gross. Yeah, it was gross. It was gross. It was unnecessary. It's gross. It's 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 and it's like exactly what these shots people think that people are trying to do at the hotel. Right. Um, so you like you kind of like everyone's proving each other's point. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, it's like right. this person comes to the hotel in a bikini, proving the point that you really need to like have some some red lines. 
and the person coming to the hotel in a bikini being like, you listen, like, I just want to don't come here. tell me what to wear to the hotel. Right. That's right. Great so stuff. That was not a good moment, in my opinion. Well, I thought it was funny, at least. I, 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 there was something about it all which I appreciated. I thought it was a good, Jew, it was good Jewish humor in my mind. It was, I, I, I like was like, you know, I was exactly like you said, except I, I understood it with a smile. On the one hand, this; on the other hand, that. But I thought it was like a good way to like, to, to, to sharpen the, the, dis, the discussion. And in general, by the way, one of my philosophies about this time is we got to keep smiling, people. Everybody got to keep well, there smiling. There is a lot to smile about. I there mean, is. yesterday there was a demolition of a beautiful uh, vineyard and orchard, something that uh, um, Betzalus Smutrich specifically personally had tried to protect and defend. And Minister Gallant, the defense minister, like personally went to go make sure that like this thing happened that Smutrich didn't want. It's a big argument right now in the government because it was like a co- part of the coalition agreement that this that this um a jewish vineyard this was jewish destroyed. vineyard would not be destroyed right and it was destroyed so that's really bad but at the same time this same week we had nine different jewish communities officially recognized by the government which is amazing uh, a couple of them i've been to personally they are they're already pretty big with like full-on houses built on them and now they're officially recognized, which means I think you can get like mortgages to buy the houses and all this. Like it, it makes a difference for them to be recognized. And we need to be doing stuff like that. And so that is a great piece of news. You had this this piece of news out of uh, that was that was really uh, pushed through through Otsma Yehudit, which is um, the ability now for Israeli courts to um, expel terrorists with Israeli citizenship who take money from the Palestinian Authority, basically showing that their loyalty is to the Palestinian Authority. Expel plus take away their citizenship. Right, you expel yeah. them and take away their citizenship. Expel. I mean, I personally have a question about why we would expel anyone to the Palestinian Authority because that is still a very much contended question as to whether there should be a Palestinian Authority and whether we acknowledge that the Palestinian Authority has any kind of claim whatsoever i don't think uh, l- to l- the l- land l- that it sits on not on this show in this show we say no right on this show but i'm saying even on the national level like uh, i you and i obviously know that this is not the case but anyway i think it's a good precedent and i think it's uh, heading in the right direction that we recognize that just because you have a blue identity card doesn't make you a good israeli citizen and some people don't deserve to be israeli citizens that's right and also, we had a horrific uh, terror attack as yes, well. We had terrible. A, a terrible attack uh, in which uh, people were run over, rammed, and basically yes. three people were murdered. Two little brothers. Unbelievable! It to- was. It was. Th- this thing happened last Friday, and I work for JNS. Yishai, and your your show is is looking so beautiful on the JNS network, and. I had to post to social media really quickly about this. And I was like, I felt like all the blood had been sucked out of my body. Yeah. I like, I, I could barely, I had to, you know, you have to keep going in a, like both metaphysically and physically like a Shabbat was coming. I had to, I had to make the Shabbat or we weren't going to have food on Shabbat. And uh, I had to keep going. I posted to social media and then I had to like keep work, like working on my food. And I was just like, it was it was a hard Shabbat, frankly. Yeah, it it was. was hard to, um, you know, on Shabbat. Also, it's like a it's a mitzvah to be happy and not to 
Like you're really it's supposed mourn. to avoid crying. You're not supposed to even mourners who are in actual mourning, like during the seven day mourning period for a close relative who dies. You don't do that on Shabbat. On Shabbat, you get up, you put on Shabbat clothes and you try not to be in mourning on Shabbat. You try not to cry. So like the whole country, I feel, was just bless you. The whole country was like just trying to hold it together. Yeah. And, and, you know, we woke up Motzei Shabbat to the, you know, to, to more images and more videos. And it's just, even now to talk about it, I feel like, uh, like a heavy weight on my chest. And the, the father of these children is still like by far not well. And, you know, we had terror attacks not so long ago in which people were stabbed in the old, uh, outside the old city in Ir David. And, you know, the, the soldier who not shot the shot. terrorist. Was shooting. There's- the 13 year old oh, sorry, yeah, he yeah. shot them. Excuse me, yeah. and he's still not well. And we had the it's it's been it's been a very volatile right. It's been a very volatile time with some high highs right and some like terribly low lows. Amazing, amazingly well put, Malka. Thank you very much. You're absolutely right, and uh, we will talk <clears throat> more about that uh, on the show T- uh, today's show. Malka is actually really really full. And I'm very proud. Uh, I've um, I have a I have a I have a new job now. Yes, uh, announce your job. I am also as, along with my job in Chevron. I'm also an advisor uh, to Minister Ben Gvir uh, on on issues of uh, foreign relations and foreign affairs, foreign relations, foreign context, uh, and and all that. And so I'm much more in the Knesset now. It's so cool. It's really cool. Very exciting. I'm learning a lot. I'm like in school. I'm like in super school right now. Wow. I'm like every right. day. I'm just every like, day is like a learning I'm processing, experience. processing, processing. I'm like, wow, I'm learning so much. Um, uh, at the same time, uh, I also get a chance to do more more different audios. More right. Different interviews. Yeah. You get to meet all, some of the most interesting people in Israel. Yeah. And I get to. Uh, and, and so today's show uh, is going to have some really great stuff. I have uh, first Yoni Kempinski from uh, Arut Sheva Israel National News. Uh, talking about his views of what's going on exactly in the protest day. Uh, then I went to the Our Crowd conference in Jerusalem. Our Crowd is an amazing organization that basically uh, is, um, is a, f- a fund for investment in Israeli startups. Wow. And they run a, a premier conference in uh, Summit in Jerusalem. Annual. A- annual Summit. <clears throat> and I was there yesterday. It was so fun. Excuse me one second. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm, okay. I'm all right. I'm all right. You're doing good, Ish. I'm doing good. So there's going to be audios from uh, uh, Shui Fogel, Ellie Stutt. Uh, no, Ellie Sprung. Oh, that's uh, funny. That was an <clears throat> interesting little Freudian slip. That well, not Freudian, but uh, that was uh, that's not a Freudian slip. My old, uh, my older Ruth Sheva, yeah, Israel National pal. Radio uh, pal, Ellie Stutt. No, but then this one was uh, Ellie Sprung, a lawyer uh, talking about uh, uh, lawyering for startups, um, and also. What I think of is an incredible interview later on in the show uh, by Professor Gil Troy. I got to sit down with Gil Troy, and I was he blew he blew my mind. It was just wow. such an awesome interview. You have to hear it. You really have to hear it. And then finally, I spoke with uh, our old friend, uh, our Knesset insider Jeremy Sultan, the Knesset uh, Knesset Jeremy, the the Knesset insider told us about the laws that are trying to be passed. Some passed, and some are on the way to being passed. Very important stuff. So it's a very full show, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, but before we go on to all those, let's just talk a tad about the folks that make the show happen. Yes. First, it's Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Yocheved, 
uh, Tabitha and Lewin were live. So thank you very much uh, for producing uh, the show and getting it out to the world. And you, the faithful friend and listener, uh, can help us out also by sending it to a friend, by rating it highly, by writing a comment on whatever, wherever you receive the show. And now, as we mentioned a few times already, the show is also part of the JNS.org network. It's also a JNS.org great news website that I absolutely recommend that you that you enter, get the real news in Israel, get amazing, all the best op-ed. Right. There's a lot of great op-eds. The I, best I op-ed. I say that that is... Something that's unique to JNS, right? That, and and it's and it's nationalist and, and with us. It's the good stuff. It's the healthy stuff. So that's JNS. Uh, I also uh, have been part of the JewishPress.com uh, network for a long time, uh, and so I'm proud of that as well. And right, I, and of course, you love their daily email. Love it, and I recommend it. So JewishPress.com, and also part of Israel 365, which has a whole host of products that can keep you connected to Israel more from a biblical perspective including news as well. So check them out, uh, Israel365. And they always have new projects and interesting stuff. That's right. They have an orphanage they're supporting right now for folks from Ukraine, and they have the Israel Bible, which is uh, theisraelbible.com, uh, and you can put in co- coupon code Yishai. Bang. That's right, and you get uh, <laughs> uh, 10% off of God's Holy Word in yes. an, an amazing package. So that's the, the news websites that we're part of. Uh, we also uh, are proud sponsors, or they're proud sponsors of us, of uh, High on the Har which means uh, that when you come to the land of Israel, you know, people write to me all the time, give me a tour guide, give me a tour guide, find me a tour guide, I do that. But now there's, some, there's an organization that's specifically helping you get to the Temple Mount. Right. I'm, I'm so proud of that. Right, but it's a holy place. It's a holy place. And so and you it's need got- to go up. It's not, it's not just like another tour that you do. By far, by far not. And it's something that you have to take extremely seriously and learn the intricate details of how to go up uh, according to Jewish law. Right. But once you do that and you are, are uh, preparing yourself uh, to the letter of the law, then you can go up to the Temple Mount and it is a profound experience. One day it will be even more profound. Highontheheart.com. Thank you very much to uh, MJ and Rabbi Levy for starting this up and it's really making a difference. Your life is going to change from one, one 45-minute journey to the Temple Mount. Your life is going to change forever. Um, so too with Hebron, which is uh, really one of the things I'm most proud of in my whole life which is other than marrying you, Malka, Thank and raising you. a family with Ta-da. you, I'm so proud of uh, being part of the Jewish nation and peoplehood through Hebron, Hebron Fund. We're all proud of that, uh, Yishai. That's one of the things we're all... The, our family is very proud to be associated with that town and with that work. That's right. And the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs and with the great tours given by Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum. Uh, you can't miss it. It's, it's really... It's, it's just like going up to the Temple Mount or, or, or the, uh, you know, the step before, which is the, the Western Wall. When you come to Israel... You got to come to Hebron and, and you got to support the How can the you be in moms. town and not go see your grandparents? Exactly. Very good. That's right. And we also have uh, our more product oriented uh, supporters of the show and friends, including our good folks, our good friends and folks at retrowatchguy.com. And uh, they make, they, they, they sell you great retro watches. I am a proud wearer of a retro watch. There it is right now on my hand. There it Bang. is. Bang. There it is. This is my Tissot. I love it. I wore it to the Knesset. I, it matches my suits. I'm happy about that. Uh, right now, there's a great, cool-looking watch, in my opinion. There's a lot, but there's one that I like called the Freco. Here, Maka, here's the Freco. Do you see that? That's pretty. Freco from the 60s. It's a deep-sea master mar- mariner. It's a beautiful, uh, it's mega groovy, early 70s. <laughs> um, uh, it's There's a lot of words here that I don't know what they mean, like super compressor in excellent condition. But in any case, excellent condition, I think you can figure out. I understand that. So uh, check them out at retrowatchguy.com. And of course, 
Uh, we got some Prohibition Pickle. I've been looking through their menu for this week. Yep. And they have a lot of great stuff and they're like good old standbys. Yep. Because you have a cold, I'm a little bit more like in the zone of the probiotics because that's supposed to like help you get better and stuff. Sure. And Chaim makes the pickles. Right. So that's like legit stuff. It's not like what you buy in a can in the store where they like boil it and whatever so that it will stay on the shelf for a long time. These are these are live probiotic foods. So one thing that looks really cool that I kind of want for basically, this Shabbos. Basically, if it goes bad, it's good for you. Kind of. That's, right? yeah. If it goes bad, it's good for you. That's right. that's a t-shirt. Yeah. Anyway, so. Um, if it doesn't go bad. It's not so good for you. It's not good for you. Right. I mean, maybe beans or something are good for you. But anyway, so they have something called pickled cauliflower with live probiotic. That looks really good. We like cauliflower in our family. It's that's right. bright, garlicky, and crunchy pickled cauliflower seasonal when Mahadran is available, which I happen to know is right now. Prohibitionpickle.co.il. Order your Shabbos foods. They're exciting. They're spicy. They're they're intelligent. They're spiritual. <laughs> they're all those things. And you could send it to a friend. We happen to have a lot of Gentiles coming this Shabbat. Our good friends are coming over. So I highly recommend that you guys uh, get some Shabbat food. And if you want to send some to a friend, we're always uh, willing to uh, to accept some the delightful. And of course, I have a deal with you, which is if you want to. Uh, send us any Prohibition Pickle, then we, w- we will be active in blessing you on our Shabbat table. Uh, that is a fun little thing. Uh, and also, I just want to say that uh, my friend Baruch Marzal in Hebron uh, also has something right now, which is that he is sponsoring lunch every day at the Tomb of the Patriarchs. And Matriarchs every day? For people like, yeah, there's like a lunch program oh, for, for people, people who need food right and if you want to do a little chesed and you want to do a, a day sponsorship for for, wow. for, for lunch at the maratha well, the tomb of the patriarchs and matrix. there you go there you go no you can't combine it because it's two different oh, he has food sources special, yeah. uh, caterer. any case uh maka fleischer i want to tell you that you give me a lot of strength and uh, a lot of people uh, get strength uh, from uh, the show uh, so i want uh, to ask people to uh you know write us in hashtag strength Hashtag, hashtag Chazak. Tell me a little story about your strength. Yes, Send me we a picture. love your emails. Yeah, that's right. It gives me a little pep in the day if I see that you've written to me from Manitoba or wherever you're from. Uh, it's it, it or or Mexico or I don't know Guam or wherever you're from. Send or me an, Tinek. or Tinek. That's right. That's right. So send us uh, an email uh, and uh, that's 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 fun. Follow us uh, both on on social media uh, and. Um, Maka Maka is a mean Twitterer. Very and, mean. And now that and now that her best buddy alone has loosened the restrictions on on people like her uh, or something. I don't know. I've gotten a lot of new Twitter followers recently. Right. Yeah. I put up a picture this week of me. Like I, it wasn't a picture of me, but I went to the grocery store and I took a picture of some people at the grocery store. Arab ladies buying fish and this Jewish Jewish guy buying some meat at the adjacent uh meat and fish counters and i kind of made a joke about like israeli apartheid and it got like 700 likes that's amazing that's amazing on twitter that's which huge. for me is like a whole ton yeah basically it's and just people are recognizing that it's it's a ridiculous claim right all right folks uh let's get to the rest of the show uh let's start with uh, my interview <clears throat> with yoni kempinski and it's just going to go interview after interview uh for a few interviews and and don't miss uh, Gil Troy, really. Don't miss Gil Troy. Let me know what you think. Write me an email, Yishai, YishaiFleischer.com. Uh, you could also support us through buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. Just a little cup of coffee, uh, spiritual uh, a cup of coffee, 
That makes a difference for us and it supports our show. So check that out. And here we go. Here's Yoni Kapinski, Maka. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat and thank shalom. you so much. God All bless you. All right, folks, in the Knesset, I'm sitting in the government floor, uh, floor number two, and I am with Yoni Kempinski, famous voice here in Israel, both in Hebrew and in English. He's the uh, editor-in-chief of Arutz Sheva Israel National News in English, but he also contributes a lot in Hebrew, does video, he does so many things. Uh, Yoni Kempinski, it's a special day here today uh, at the Knesset because it's very energetic. We had this morning a crazy fight within the uh, Justice Committee uh, discussing the uh, a reform of the judicial system. Then we had a huge rally outside. Uh, you got to give them respect. The, the, the anti-traditional reform folks uh, came out today, maybe 20,000, maybe more on, on a weekday, on a Monday morning, came to Jerusalem. Basically, everybody from Tel Aviv came here, and it was very lively, very raucous. So I wanted to get your take on, on how the atmosphere of the country is, how the atmosphere of the Knesset is. So first of all, I have to tell you the following, that, you know, I was walking through the streets and I saw the flags and I saw the people, really thousands, swarming towards the uh, the Rose Garden here at the entrance to the Knesset. And you know what? Put aside opinions and what they're coming from, and we'll talk about that in a moment. It's great. It is great to see protests, to see people who care, because they do care. It's not your own, you know, small groups of anarchists that are just against BB or against this. They care. They're worried. Again, in a moment, we'll talk about how they got to that state where they're so worried. Uh, but it's great to see, you know, in, a, in an era where it's all about uh, how do you do a protest these days, you open a new Facebook page, and that's it. And, wow, there will get, you'll get lots of likes. No, come to the streets, scream, talk, have Knesset members come in, have Knesset members come out, have public leaders and leaders and from all around uh, Israel come together. And, yes, now let's talk about the content itself. It's mainly, you would say, coming from the left. But not only. It's mainly people that are coming from Tel Aviv, but not only. What do we feel? That when we come in and we talk to the people there, they're not really, they're not really, not, you know, they don't know enough about the details. They hear, what do they hear? The headlines. And that's basically one of the main uh, uh, conclusions of walking around today. People are, 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 you know, they're fed by the media. And one thing I said to one of uh, the leaders of really of, of, of right-wing uh, protests and right-wing uh, media, uh, uh, that this reminds me of the days of Oslo and, the, and also in the days of you know, the protests against Oslo and the protest against the disengagement. And he said one thing that's very, very different. Back then, we, let's say the right-wing, we did not have the media. Well, the media was totally against. And here, I'll just tell you one thing that I heard. There's a, there's a channel called Gal Galatz, where they give you the... Um, the uh, traffic uh, updates. So uh, the person, uh, the, the host was saying, uh, so good morning to all those who are in uh, traffic jams or maybe going to the protest. Come on. That wouldn't happen if it was a right-wing protest. So the media, the way they're, 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 the way they're packaging this whole story, the way they're, they're presenting it as something, as the consensus is coming out to the streets, that is really pushing these people out and as if there's a war. You know, we're, the, the, the headline is a judicial reform. But the headline in the media, in the mainstream media, is a revolution. Is, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going all dramatic about it. And what we see is the result, is the people worried. So again, I, I, when I, you look at the people, it's great to see the people who care about their country. On the one hand. But what happens when you sit down and try to talk that's a different question. Right. So today I was uh, at Cinema City. Mm -hmm. I was actually meeting uh, an important Arab activist. 
uh, related to the PLO. We had a big serious talk about all kinds of stuff, crazy stuff. Uh, but we're like, let's meet at Cinema City because I had to go to the Knesset today. Very convenient, right next to uh, the Knesset. Suddenly we come in, there was no place in the coffee shops, nowhere. The place was packed. The place was packed with folks from Tel Aviv on the center left, le- or even extreme left, who came to protest. And I, got a ch- I saw a guy with the flag of Israel, but with a rainbow flag together, hy- hybridized. Uh, and and I, I said to him, very calmly, you know, tell me what this is about for you. And I, when I started grilling him on details, he had no details to give me. He was not sure about this. And then he said to me, honestly, he said, I'm not worried about the now. Nobody's limiting me now. I'm worried about where this is going. I'm worried that, I'm, that this country is going to become more theological, a theocracy. It's going to limit my freedoms. Uh, and it's becoming more nationalistic. Those are the themes. And that's what I'm concerned about. Now, I said to him, but that is the majority. That is where the country is going. And he said, you're right. And, and, and he said to me, but, you know, we don't want the tyranny of the majority. And I said to him, well, what about the tyranny of the, tyranny of the minority, which you don't accept uh, the, the, the majority of the people? But anyway, that's where we got to. But for me, it was a big realization that this is what this is about. It's actually a much more ekoni, uh, fundamental question about where this country is going. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I'm feeling these days is that uh, the, the big problem is, you know, the, the president, he came out and he called for dialogue. And when you talk to the protesters and when you talk to people from the right, they say, uh, yeah, we're open to dialogue, but uh, we're, for example, from the right, we're from the government, we're, we're going ahead with the, the, the laws, we're going ahead with the legislation. And when you talk to the left, they're saying, uh, we're open uh, to dialogue, but the president gave in. And people are not talking about a dialogue. And why is this also a bit dangerous? Because and today in the judicial committee, there was no dialogue no at all. No dialogue at all. People were jumping on the on the chairs and the tables. There. Listen, one of the things that I think that from both sides, and this time the right should think about, is the fact that when and if the left comes into power, then they will be so vehement about canceling and turning it all that it wouldn't be worth it at all. And I think when big things like this happen, it has to come mm-hmm. through dialogue. You have the power. And you have to show that you have the power, but there has to be some sort of working together because otherwise this will be something that, you know, it'll be like a, a ping pong from side to side. Well, you're you're saying like the, like the Trump changes and then when the next... Exactly. You know, right. remember when, the Trump, when, in, when Trump was in power, that's exactly one of the things that, that we felt back then is that it's great that he's doing this, but you know what might happen when uh, the, the, the Democrats come in? Now, I don't know if it's happening because we're seeing, you know, Abraham, of course, is not something that you change and no one's bringing the, the embassy back. But that, that it really actually fits to what we felt back then. It's amazing what he's doing, but uh, what will happen? So there's, there's fear like that also now here. But the, but the right wing Knesset members and, and legislators are going to tell you that the left doesn't actually want to talk at all. Mm-hmm. They don't want to lose power. They want to retain their little power in the Supreme Court because that's the way that they can rule the country even though they're a minority. And they don't really want to talk. And we saw today in the committee uh, what everybody agreed to was an unprecedented behavior from the Knesset members, so the ones that are on the left, the ones that are not in the government. So you tell me, like, so, is, there, is there any way to really talk so, with them? So, so, so I think that is exactly what uh, Simcha Rotman, who was the head of the Judicial Committee, is doing. He today said, he today said, I am um, opening my uh, hands, and I want someone uh, the, the the left and the opposition. I'm opening. I'm open for dialogue. So I think that's the one thing to do: present that you're open for dialogue. And you're right. He may get from the left. Uh, uh, people are saying, "No, we're not open for dialogue." But at least you have to be, especially when you're in the power, open for dialogue. 
see what the embrace the president's initiative and do that. And I'm saying if the coalition government will embrace, will be open for dialogue, I'm not saying that anything will change. That's what a government who is in power must do. Mm-hmm. It's not about screaming. We're seeing coalition members who are screaming and, and shouting. No, you have to, you know, stay cool. You're in power. And we saw that Rotman today, by the way, if you look at the videos from the, from the committee, you see how he understands the responsibility. With great responsibility, great, with, with great, great powers, powers, comes great responsibility. And he was implementing that. All right, let's talk about just one more topic, and, and then i got to let you go because you got interviews to do here today. Um, Arut Sheva, Israel National News, Israel National uh, in Hebrew and English. Uh, very powerful media outlet. Uh, it's the so-called settler. Uh, a TV and radio station and, and a news outlet. Um, a very important outlet. I had the great privilege of working there for seven years. Um, it also got a magazine called the Besheva Magazine, a highly read magazine. Uh, tell me about being in that position today. How, how do you feel out there? Uh, there's a few other uh, nationalist outlets like JNS and Jewish Press. Um, um, but but is is your do you feel like the voice of of like Arut Sheva is being heard these days? Do you feel like you're supporting only our people, which by the way is not a small thing in itself? Like, tell me what it's like to be in the game. You are a well-known face here. I see right now, folks from I don't know Channel Twelve Thirteen over there, and there's now Channel Fourteen. Tell me about the game of of being in the media in that important position today. So you mentioned you you defined this as the as the settler media. I think what happened throughout the years is that Arut Sheva became really well uh, accepted and acknowledged and respected by so many that, you know, we, we fly with the prime ministers, no matter if it was Netanyahu or Lapid, we're part of the delegation. It's understood that we have to bring all the voices and, of course, bring uh, be a stage for so many voices that aren't heard. But it's so, so, so important. And we felt this very much uh, during the time with the, the past few years weren't really defined who's right and who's left. Even now, you know, when we're looking at the Knesset, it's not opposition left versus coalition right. You talk to people like Elkin, Kahana, people from Machanam Mahti, from Gantz's party, uh, you hear so many messages that you're saying, wait a second, that's from the right. They, they even will will complain about the government not, uh, you know, not uh, evacuating Khan al-Akhmar because they're coming from the right. Some say that there's 80% right in this Knesset. Some say that there's not really even really any left hardly uh, uh, anymore. No left so, left. There's no, no left, left left left. Now, so that, that's why uh, being a root Sheva, you know, we, 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 were, we were slammed sometimes even for presenting, uh, let's say, Prime Minister Bennett as a prime minister because some expected us to be a very specific uh, type of right wing. So nowadays you have to understand how you can cater for a very big nationalist and conservative audience, but also understand that it's very important if you're, you know, I think we were in a meeting once, years ago, Arut Sheva was one of the leaders, who talked about the fact that if, you're, if you feel sure and you feel self-esteem about you, with your ideas and with your agendas, then you have the, the power also to speak and to be a, 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 a stage for all different opinions and to understand that not to be afraid of other opinions and to allow everything to be on your site, on the website, for example, or the newspaper, and of course to bring to be a stage and to give light uh, to those who don't uh, receive, especially from the nationalist and conservative side. All right, last question: um, How do you feel right now about the country? Where's it going in, in your in your gut? In your gut, and I trust your gut. Where, where do you where do you 
how do you see today? Today was a, like walking to the Knesset today was really walking through one side and then coming to the Knesset, which today is a right-wing Knesset, like you mentioned. Um, you know, and some people, like, like for example, there was some, some article, oh, I saw somebody sent me a Canadian newspaper, Israel's like being torn to pieces, that kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm a little bit laughing, you know what I mean? Because these left, left-wing protesters were all standing in Cinema City getting a latte coffee. And I thought to myself, you know, we're all drinking our lattes and it's not exactly being ripped to shreds. But, but give, me, give me a sense of where you think this uh, kind of tectonic clash is, is heading. Wow. <laughs> That's a big one. And I, we always try to be optimistic. And there is, there is reason to be optimistic because, you know, at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in the army together. We're at work together. We continue to live our life and, <laughs> you know, there's big challenges in the security arena together. And I think that it's good that people are protesting and I think that what we saw from Sikharotman today was talking about dialogue. I think that there will be much more dialogue, there will be much more talk. I think the media, the media as we talked about it with Sheva and we talked about other channels, really brings a big challenge and that is an issue. And a a responsibility, like you said. You, right, you have a right, big responsibility. Right. We have a big responsibility. Yeah. We all have a big responsibility. But we also see the problems and the... Um, the, the, the serious problems that we're seeing from the media. And I think if, if we would be able to turn off our, the media, even ours, for a moment and just talk between us, uh, the people of Israel, that would do good. So where are we going? Um, the truth is I think that, that Netanyahu at one point may try to call in other parts, other elements that are in the opposition. And I think that that day is coming even faster. Some people thought it would take happen after a judicial reform. I don't know. With all these protests... It's interesting. It's an interesting thought to think maybe he make that may go ahead with those moves. Hopefully, and this is an issue, leaving all his the parts of the coalition in his coalition, and that's a that's a challenge. Uh, but if he would be able to do that, that could uh, contribute very much to the state because there are many, many, many elements of the opposition who can fit very good to contribute to the state of Israel and. I actually hope that something like that come, could happen sometime. Yoni Kempinski is the editor-in-chief of IsraelNationalNews.com, uh, one of the most important uh, websites out of Israel news websites. Uh, he does video, he does writing. Uh, he's a great voice, and he's also a great switch hitter from Hebrew to English. We thank you very much, Yoni, for being here and being at the Knesset. God bless you, and thank you for your responsibility uh, for telling the news of the state of Israel. Thank you. All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer here, and I'm in Yerushalayim, Yerikotas, the Holy City. And today, though, it's not about uh, just specifically regular holiness. It's actually about business, startups. You know that whole thing that, that they talk about Israel being the startup nation? And we don't cover that so much on this show because this show is about you know, spirituality and news. But there is another side, and there's this mammoth organization called Our Crowd, and they run this fabulous conference in Yerushalayim. Now, I have missed this conference year after year. This year, I said, I can't miss it. I've got to be here. And I've got to kind of feel the, the heat, feel the energy, feel the vibe uh, of this startup Israel thing, this economic engine that's driving the country partially, that, 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 is, that is interplaying with the other aspect, which we talk about in this show, like Israel being the spiritual capital of the world. But okay, there's another side, and that is the channeling of amazing ideas. I bumped into a good friend of mine, advocate, Ellie Sprung, who was my classmate in yeshiva many years ago, and also his family was part of the, the folks that uh, took me in when I was in the army. 
So I have a debt of gratitude to him. He's a good friend of mine. He's a lawyer today uh, with uh, Arnon Tadmor Levy. And I asked him, I said, uh, Ellie, what do you do? You know what? I'll just ask him directly. Ellie, Advocate Ellie Sprung, what do you do? Hi, Yishai. It's always good seeing you. Pleasure to thank you for the invite. It's always a pleasure to, to be here. Um, we represent a lot of the startup nation, a lot of the startups who make up a startup nation, and some of the investors who invest in the startups, and a lot of people or entities and companies who come from abroad to get a little taste, a little flavor of the startup nation so that they can invest in the tremendous technology and startups that are, that are here. Ellie, okay, that was good. But now I want you to tell me more tachlis, because I want to understand that a little bit more guts. Is it really real that there's like this startup nation thing? Is it, is it like a real thing? And, and like, give me an, like a sense of like a company or something that you represent, that you help, and uh, that, that is like impressive to you, that you're excited about. Something, I want to feel it. Okay, well, let's start. I think Israel has graduated from startup nation to scale-up nation. I think maybe probably 15, 20 years ago we were a startup nation. There were a lot of very hot companies, and people were selling early. To uh, abroad, and now I think a lot of entrepreneurs who, who were successful entrepreneurs initially started up more companies and are now trying to make big companies. That's why we're, we're more moving more to scale up and less to start up. Um, there are a lot of companies. Is that, is that a big economic move right now from like the startups that made it, that are the seeds that kind of uh, sprouted, are moving towards getting big? Is that where the the, the trend is? I think there the, you, you'll see entrepreneurs selling. At a later stage, their companies are growing more than they grew before. I think that's something that, that we're seeing. If, you, if we compare it to how it, the situation was 20 years ago, there's a lot more of that. You'll see, you see a lot more um, IPOs and larger. You're seeing now also Israeli companies being on the acquiring side as opposed to the selling side. That makes me so happy because, because one of the things that my critique of, of Israel in general was is that we're always giving things away. We're giving our land away. We're giving away our water. We're, giving, we're selling. We're going to exits. We're going to exit out of, of, of the startup. You're saying now, no, there's a trend now towards purchasing other companies around the world. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Again, like companies like Wix. You know, Wix could have been like years ago, would have just sold off, and that's it. But they grew now, and now they're a public company. So there's a lot more going that direction than the other direction of selling early. I think we still have a lot of selling, because in the end of the day, you know, you have the huge conglomerates that are that love Israeli tech. If you look at, um, I think, if you look at the Israeli, how many Israeli companies are traded on Nasdaq? You know, with the per capita, we're, we're number one. I think we're, with as actual co- companies that are probably number three or four or something like that. So I- Israel's tech is known throughout the world as being really, really uh, an amazing place. I think you have a lot of conglomerates that come to Israel for their R&D, their research and development, because they know that they, there's a lot of people here who, who know what they're doing. And, and, and at the end, the proof is in the pudding. And there's a crazy amount of tech coming out of Israel and, you know, selling stuff, products, etc., to, you know, the phone that you're interviewing me on, there are parts in your phone that were developed here in Israel. And it's like that goes on and on and on. It, it, you know, with, if you talk about an Israeli boycott, it's hard to boycott everything in Israel because then you really won't be able to use a lot of things. Okay. So now, give me, like I asked before, give me something that, that, is, uh, that is in your uh, uh, portfolio of things that you deal with that is that is exciting to you or something that's weird i don't care i just want to understand i want to i want to get down to the brass tacks of what's happening here in israel well, there's a company that has a medical device that's actually they're actually selling now that help surgeons when they do surgery um they put the device into the person very sometimes not even cutting open and it has a robotic arm that can basically move 
frontwards, backwards, left, right, can turn around and can out and pop a, a knife and stuff like that so that... A Swiss Army knife, tiny little baby Swiss Army knife inside your body Somebody, that could operate inside. They probably wouldn't describe it like that, but, but it, it's really amazing piece of technology that now surgeries that you had to were invasive are now kind of getting to be non-invasive and, and it's just things like that that you, just, you see all this all these ideas and all this tech and and you see sometimes when you're there from day one and you see how it was they were using like little joysticks and like it was you know like uh, game consoles to, to do it and now you see it, it it's in an operating room and 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 the surgeons are just you know going crazy over over this technology it's just and, and it's just a lot of it just the i would say the oomph and the chutzpah that Israelis have the, the way that they're willing to question anything and everything mm. is really what brings mm. what, what brings you know Israel to the startup nation to really not take anything as well. There's a problem. Well, I'm not going to just accept the problem. I'm going to fix the problem, and that's what's really driving Israel. That's a, that's a very interesting. You know, that I was going to ask, and then I've decided not to. Like, what is the Israeli psychology or spiritual tendency that makes them you know good at this stuff? But you basically answered it. It's some kind of inquisitiveness, some kind of uh, some kind of also irreverence, a chutzpah, uh, willing to challenge in a kind of a very basic level. Uh, and that's what you feel like when you're raising Israeli little kids. <laughs> They're willing to challenge you on, on, on everything. Also, uh, you, you know, I noticed that you went immediately to the medical. Your father was a famous doctor. Uh, your mom was also, uh, God bless her soul, was also uh, in the medical research and an interest in that. Uh, is that. Is that something that, that came down to you from your parents, an interest in, in medical issues, medical startups? I mean, I think I've been involved in medicine through that. I think it just, there's a lot of happenstance. That just happens to be, you know, a lot of companies that I represent happen to be in the medical field. So I, I, I do a lot of that. It could be that I have a little bit more knowledge with my family, family background than, than other people will, but I don't know if that's the reason. But it's definitely interesting. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, you can help people make more money, which is always good. But if you're helping people save lives, then sometimes it's a little better. Yeah, I think that that's, that's also inside there of, in, in Israel. There's also that will to do good for the world. That also drives a lot of the technology here. Do you agree with that? Um, some people, I think some. You know, they, you know, I think you have people world ra- world throughout the world who really want to do better for people. Um, you have a lot of that in Israel too. Great answer, and I think that's true. Ellie Sprung is with our known Tadmor Levy, a law firm specializing uh, in this field, or what? Amongst many others, many, many, many specialties. Uh, High tech is definitely a leading part of the firm, without a doubt. All right, so if you want to get in touch, you can write to me, yishayishayfleischer.com. If you've got a startup idea and Israel's going to be connected, let's connect you with Ellie and let's move ahead. God bless you. Thank you very much from the Our Crowd Conference. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, Yishay. All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer here. I'm still at Our Crowd, having a lot of fun meeting people. It's a great meeting event, very energetic, tons of people. And, like, I can't stop saying hi to folks. And a friend of mine, Shuey Fogel, is a former banker of mine, my banker. I'm, I don't know. I banked with him uh, at Ubank. Now he is the CFO of Fogel, CFO and Management Services, LTD. So he's not. He's the CEO of the uh, Fogel CFO, basically uh, outsourcing financial systems to uh, to everything and to and to certainly to startups which is part of your business Shuey great to see you tell me a little bit about what you're doing here at the conference and what this conference is about from your perspective sure this uh, conference really attracts a lot a lot of people so uh, especially after COVID it's a great way to reconnect uh, with old friends and hopefully soon to be old friends and colleagues uh, and actually, I got here very, very early, so I got my networking out of the way, and uh, I've actually just attended three different sessions, um, learning about what makes investors tick, uh, some of the things that investors can do to protect themselves, as well as how companies 
can make themselves more attractive to investments. Okay, and what do you offer them? And also, and also uh, for my listeners, it would be nice if you could help me a little bit to bring it down to brass tacks. I, I, you know, this, you're using the big words, but show me a company that's doing something from Israel that you're connecting with and helping out. Just tell me, like, Tachlis, what are they doing and how does it happen? Sure. So, uh, again, so what I do is that I'm an external finance department. So we're outsourced, which means that I have A to Z services, and clients choose uh, from the full menu list to create a basket of services that's appropriate for them. About 10% of my clients are startups, which is the reason why I'm here. Um, So let's take, I've got one startup client of mine who's actually funded by uh, our crowd, who's here downstairs, who has a booth. Um, So they have great technology. They're doing deep tech. And for them, they've already gone through two two rounds. and they are trying to work both on sales and developing their technology. And there's always that. What is it? You got to tell me what it is. What do they do? What are they doing? <laughs> oh, sure. So these are one of my favorite clients, Inziv, which uh, develops. Let's see if I get this correct. I got to do them justice. It's um, dis, it's uh, they do um, for micro LED, which are very, very, very small pixels, essentially all your TVs, wearables, think whatever is going to have pixels in it. Um, Being able to detect blemishes, uh, problems with these pixels is getting harder and harder because, again, the pixels are getting smaller and smaller. They have revolutionary proprietary technology that that attacks the problem, not through optical, but through wavelengths. Bikitzer, they are changing the scene. And and all these people that are... So they're going to make things more high definition. It's not just about a high definition. They're helping the people that are making it. So you have people throughout the world who are managing these technologies. Right now, the problem, because these pixels are so small, I think somewhere around 50% of the pixels are problematic. They are bad. Well, I have a new name for the company. What was the name of the company? Inzif. I think they should call Fix My Picks. Okay? (laughs) Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Uh, If they do, I'll make sure you get licensing rights. Um, so the idea is that they themselves are not supplying the micro-LED, right? They're not the ones who are producing these things in mass, okay? But they're a core technology that is going to service this global sector. And that, I think, is where Israeli tech can really shine. Because we, don't, we, we, we can't put up a factory overnight. But what can we do? We can produce technology in a relatively short period of time, one to three years, that... Again, it's that small bit which hits the next small bit, the domino effect, and now you have this small Israeli company, Inziv, affecting a global powerhouse sector of microLED. It's in everything. Thank you very much for giving me a real topless one. I wanted that, and you really brought it down small to the PIX level. It's so interesting, right? There's like, there's like the world of big and the world of small, you know? It's like there's a world of space, the world out there. And then ironically, there's this like other world, which is like the infinite smallness, which seems to be getting smaller and smaller. Just an interesting thing, you know, sometimes you deal with like scaling, getting big, but, and then there's this other side of it, which is the world is big enough, the world is trying to shrink in. You know, it's like the, the, the question that we know more about space than we know about the undersea world. Just an interesting thought uh, in my mind. All right, last question. Um, tell me about this conference. Um, is it real? Is it a bubble? Uh, is our crowd a, a, a company that's an organization that's like doing something in the conference? Just give me a thought about about what I'm feeling here. Everyone loves to hate on uh, our crowd. I feel like I, I'm not hating on anybody. I'm feeling no, no. good. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But I'm saying I actually was setting you up to say something nice. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. Because everyone talks about. I'm talking about friends of mine, colleagues who used to come to the conference many years ago when it was free. Now actually have to pay for it. Like, you know, it's the same people. Why do we need to go? It's the same thing year and year again. Um, Obviously, there are certain aspects which play again. 
but things are changing. Every year things are changing. And I even was meeting people here at the conference who are not even involved in tech, but want to know what's going on. That's exactly why I'm here. Somebody asked me, Ishai, why are you here today? Is it Chevron? Is it Benkvir? I'm like, I want to know what's going on. I want to know what's going on in my country that I love so much. And also, I want to touch it. It's exciting what you just told me, the little pixel baby fix the pics thing. It's exciting. It's exciting. And I want to touch it because I love this country. I love everything that it produces. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, when you talk about employment economy, they said the high-tech sector is 10% of uh, Israel. So no matter what sector you're in, the high-tech sector, whether it's because your spouse, your neighbor, or maybe you're a service provider, even if you're not in the tech sector itself, you are being influenced by the tech sector, and there are a ton of people here. And you know what? I got here early. Like I said, I got my networking out of the way. I'll do some more afterwards. But then I learned, man. I learned. And some of it is, 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 is directly connected to me. Other it is not. But I'm learning, and I'm soaking up, and I think there's tons of information here. Shui Fogel is a wealth of information. Uh, he's the head of Fogel CFO and Management Services Limited, but he's not limited. He's making it happen. He's awesome. Reach out to Shui through me, ishaifleischer.com. There's many more great people here at Our Crowd, but Shui's making it happen, connecting and helping businesses move forward with their own financial credola. Somebody's got to take care of it. Shui's making it happen. Thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you so much, Ishai. Great to see you. All right, folks, I'm at Our Crowd. And uh, this conference is huge, and most people here are talking about uh, high-tech and business, but I found a fellow humanities guy, and that is a famous uh, professor, writer, thinker, uh, Gil Troy, professor at McGill University of American History, uh, also a, a columnist at J-Post, and an author many times over, but now on a three-volume book on uh, Herzl, on Benjamin Zev Herzl, uh, the, I don't like to say the founder of modern Zionism, I don't think that's correct, uh, maybe you'll you know you'll 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 chime in on that, uh, but certainly the guy who pushed the story forward tremendously to what we have today, uh, the state of Israel. Gil Troy, thank you so much, Dr. Gil. How you doing? Always great to see you, especially in uh, Jerusalem. All right, so so what are you doing, a humanities guy, history guy, at the Archive Conference? I got lost. Uh, First of all, I'm just so excited. Everybody's telling us doom and gloom. The state of Israel is falling apart. The democracy isn't going to continue. The economy isn't going to continue. I want everybody to come and see, not just see this place, but feel the energy. I was at one of their first summits, which was in a small place in Talpiot, um, overlooking the old city. And it was beautiful, but it was really intimate. Now there are, what, 6,500 people. So I'm Yisrael Chai. The Jewish people are continuing to bloom. And uh, my friends on the right and my friends on the left have to stop yelling and screaming and being hysterical. We've got to remember. We are one, and we're doing so many amazing things in high-tech, in pharma, and most important, creating a modern Jewish democratic society. And that was was Herzl's vision. Absolutely. I say amen to that, okay? Because I myself, P.S., I'm not feeling doom and gloom. I spoke with the protesters, had a good time. I feel like my the folks that I wanted to be in power and power and and we're trying to run the country nicely and we have disagreements that's part of democracy but like let's not go to that American style polarity and just chill out a little bit and there's some forces that want to not chill out but okay so you're at the conference and you're I agree with you 100% you're wearing a great jacket what in the name of God that is a high-tech material you're wearing what is that about it's a high-tech material which actually you can crumple up when you're when you're flying and then it comes out it's kind of the spongy thing it's I'm, I'm not a fancy dresser but a friend of mine said I have to buy it because of all the travel I do and it's the best it's the best purchase I ever made but I want to talk about why I'm here 
which is, I was joking that I, I, I got lost. The reason why I'm here is because Michael Oren, former ambassador, when he was uh, deputy prime minister uh, working under Bibi Netanyahu, realized, because he's a good mathematician and a historian, that we're approaching not just the 75th anniversary of the State of Israel, but the 100th anniversary. And we have to start preparing for the 100th anniversary. And he started this project called Israel 2048, 2048. What do we want this country to be like then, in the future? And I was on the panel, and I responded to him by saying, I hate this project as a historian, because historians are only supposed to look backwards. And I always say, as a historian, it's hard enough to predict the past. I can't begin to predict the future. I said, but I love this project as a Zionist, because Zionism is always about thinking ahead and planning for the future, and what Theodore Herzl called the leap of hope, which is for many, many years we had the leap of faith, and of course we still need a leap of faith, because so many of us have God-sized holes in our heart, and that's a problem. We'll talk about that in group therapy later. But Theodore Herzl's great gift to the Jewish people was leap of hope, which was, tomorrow is going to be better than today, and it's on us to roll up our sleeves and make it happen. So it's about vision, and it's about responsibility. And that's what this conference is all about. And so I was challenging my high-tech friends to say, first of all, understand that they are part of the tikkun. They are part of the healing. They are part of creating a new society. They are part of creating a new society, which is one of the most successful societies in the world. And that I said, I've also said to them, you scare me, because I know many of these high-tech devices pull us apart, individuate. Mm. Destroy community, destroy tradition, put everybody in their bubble. But I also know that when done well, and also when you leverage your earnings in a right way, you also build community, build high tech, build a vision, build and, and, and build a future. And one of the things we have to do as 21st century Zionists is start inventing a Zionism that's not just pleased with what we've accomplished, but uses what we've accomplished as leverage to create a better tomorrow. And that's what it's all about. And that's what unites us. We might be left, we might be right, we might be pro this, pro that. What unites us is a common, modern Zionist vision. We can pinch ourselves on the 75th anniversary of the State of Israel and say how lucky we are to be living in this moment. And I want everybody, by the way, on Yom Atzimut to wake up and have ice cream for breakfast. I want every kid to wake up and taste the sweetness of living in this moment. I challenge every one of my friends who so do me and gloomy and say, you picky, I'm giving you a time machine. You pick a better year to be a Jew in Israel, an Arab in Israel. Gay, straight, left, right. We've never had it better. Do we have challenges? Of course. But part of the whole vision of Israel 2048 is detailing each of the challenges we have, thinking of solutions, but also stepping back and thinking of what's our vision. And that's what I was here for. Dr. Gilchoy, it's very, um, very positive. Uh, and I have to tell you that I share a lot of those sentiments. And I, and I remind people all the time. And I also think that smiling, in the broader sense of what smiling means, is actually a, a, a war tool against those who want to embitter the atmosphere right now. And I just say to them, no, I will not. I will not accept that. It's a great time, like you said. Um, a lot of people don't understand Herzl, I think. And I think there's... Uh, I, I found a book. Uh, I was given a book in Beitel when I lived in Beitel by a family member that, uh, not of Herzl, but of a German rabbi that went to the first Zionist conference, Congress, and wrote a diary and a, and a memor you know, memories of those conferences, because he went to the first few conferences. One of the things that he writes, this German rabbi, he was one of the few German rabbis who went to the Congress. One of the things he writes is, Benjamin Zev Herzl defended the Orthodox, defended 
the Frum Jews defended Yiddishkeit, Judaism, and even, of course, famously said that the return to Zion is first and foremost the return to Judaism. And he writes, this rabbi, this man defended us when he died and the more communistic left elements took over, then we were really pushed aside. But Herzl was with us, not that he was one of us, but he very much, and there's so many pictures of Orthodox Jews or believing God-fearing Jews holding up physically Herzl when he would get off of trains. Why has that been a little bit erased? Why has it been uh, uh, the legacy that somehow Herzl is this like flaming secularist who wanted to destroy traditional Judaism? Why is that? We live in a world where everybody doesn't want to be what I call an F. Scott Fitzgeraldian Zionist. F. Scott Fitzgerald was a great American writer who said the ability, of, the, the mark of an intelligent person is the ability to hold two conflicting thoughts in your head. And everybody wants to go to one extreme or another. So we're told now that it's Jewish versus Democratic. But for example, one of the arguments that Bibi Netanyahu is making is saying, I was elected democratically. So is he Jewish or is he Democratic? I was recently in England on a Sunday night, actually, and I gave a speech about not Jewish versus Democratic, but Jewish and Democratic. I know when I was in, uh, growing up in America that we learned that democracy started with the Greeks. I open up my Bible and I read about Selim Elohim. I read about God's image, about, about human beings being created in God's image. And that is the core value of democracy because every human being has inherent dignity. That's right. And I look at everybody, this great anomaly. How could it be that the, the Israel was created out of people who came from all these quote unquote undemocratic countries and yet we're a democracy? Well, it's because we had uh, from the Talmud and in our Kehilot and, 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 and Morocco and, and Moscow, wherever you were, we had a, a culture of disputation. That's democracy. So it's not Jewish and democratic. It, it's not Jewish versus democratic, it's Jewish and democratic, even in our DNA. And then you come to the Zionist movement. And indeed, your reading of Herzl is my reading of Herzl, that Herzl wasn't just what we call a political Zionist, but what I call an identity Zionist. Read his beautiful story, The Menorah, where he talks about this man who was so distant from Judaism himself, who starts coming back for Jewish dignity to fight anti-Semitism, but realizes that it's a package deal. And he, and he buys a menorah, first time in his life, and he's lighting candle, though a year before he literally lit a Christmas tree in his house. I don't know how you light a Christmas tree, but as he talks about. And now, it, what does he discover? Every night, he brings in more light and more light into his home. And his kids are delighted. And by the eighth night, with the nine candles, he says, we've defeated the darkness, we've brought in the light. So I talked about Herzl and Ralph Cook. Ralph Cook eulogized Herzl, even though he was not the most, uh, the, the most rigorous uh, Orthodox Jews, by talking about the Mashiach of Ben David, and I'm sorry, the Mashiach of Ben Yosef, or the, Mashiach of, of jo the Messiah of Joseph, and the Messiah of, of Judah, and, that ben and the Messiah of David will bring us together. So I talked about that, and I talked about David Ben-Gurion, as secular as they come, and Rav Shlomo Gorin, the first chief rabbi of the Israeli army. Think of the notion that for the first time in thousands of years we not only have an army, we not only have a Jewish army, we have a Jewish army with a halacha. And so I think we spend way too much time talking about where we disagree and not enough time talking about where we overlap and where we cross the wires. The more we cross wires, the more we remember we are one. Could you and I argue for the next three hours? No doubt. But underlying it is a core of understanding of patriotism, of Zionism, and of unity. And I think we have to go back to that and remind ourselves, especially as we celebrate the 75th anniversary of the State of Israel, and overcome some of our challenges today. Uh, you said that we are uh, heading into the 100th anniversary, but in truth, we a little bit missed the 100th anniversary, because in many ways, the Balfour Declaration, the San Remo Accords, and really one of the key documents that is always forgotten in history, but maybe is the most more important than those two, is the third one, which was the Mandate for Palestine, which basically spelled out the Jewish state, 
Uh, and also, by the way, another misunderstanding is the importance of World War I in the creation of Israel, the getting rid of the Turkish Ottoman Empire, the British setting up shop here, but not to set up shop, but to really be the incubator for the Jewish state. That's all oftentimes forgotten. So I think we are at 100 years of Zionism for sure, uh, for sure that, uh, you know, and really even more, we can get into that. Uh, but we are... I, I, call this, I call this the arc of Zionist triumph. Of course, Zionism goes back to the Bible and Abraham and Sarah and, all, and, and our ties to the place, which is very, very, very important and often, often underlooked, uh, overlooked. But what we're right now in is uh, in August, we celebrated the 125th anniversary of that Zionist Congress, where it was important for Theodor Herzl that right. there be Orthodox Jews. Right. We celebrated the 75th anniversary, I don't call it the partition plan, of the UN's recognition and the world's recognition of our right as a people to our traditional homeland and to establish a state on that homeland. And now we're building up to the 75th anniversary of the establishment of the state, which is the realization of that dream. And Zionism continues to be, A, about not establishing the state, we've done that, but defending the state, perfecting the state, and I call this the jujitsu, J-E-W, turning the state around and not just saying, what can I do to defend the state, but how does the state help me find meaning, help me find community, help me get a sense of Jewish peoplehood, and help me do what they call tikkun olam, because when there's an earthquake in Turkey, when Tahal, the army, goes there, that's representing me, and that is my way through my particularist, proud Jewish identity as a nationalist, helping the world. I wanted to close this interview right now. I really did, and I got to go. But I, but I, then, then something told me I have to ask you this question before, and then I'll wrap it up. We both have to go. Uh, but I have to wrap it up with this. Tell me about diaspora jewelry. What's going on with them? Um, there's a, how should I say, I go to the diaspora, and I go with a lot of love. I'm not out there smashing people. I'm out there loving them and bringing them closer. And I'm really, like, I learned that many years ago already, that I'm here to connect. Uh, but there is a haughtiness, and there is a misunderstanding, and there's a hysteria, and there's these other things. And there's also an amazing cancel culture slash boycotting that's going on. We are, we forget BDS, we are BDSing ourselves. And you're, uh, you're one of these people, you live in both worlds. You live in both worlds. Tell me a little bit about the diaspora. Where is it going? Is there a healing? You know, how can we get past this kind of rifty time? Just today in my Jerusalem Post column, I attacked the Association of Jewish Studies, which comes out with a justice issue, which is so disrespectful, so haughty, so contemptuous of facts, of truth, of justice, of Jewish values, but also particularly the state of Israel and of Zionism. So I definitely see the issue. But let's frame it very quickly in two ways. One, in the spirit of F. Scott Fitzgerald. At the same time that we have what we call the Peter Bynardization of American Jewry in particular, and of diaspora Jewry, this, we give them too much oxygen. We give them a platform. We let them define diaspora Jewry. And go back to the Pew study, PEW study, which said that 83% of American Jews are proud of being connected to the state of Israel. We let the shouters, we let the deniers get way too much oxygen. Part of it is because they are the ones who tend to be disproportionately rabbis and professors and opinion writers and the New York Times and the, and the CNN and BBC want to give them the platform. So on the one hand, we have to put this in proportion. On the other hand, we have to fight like heck and we have to be very, very clear that we are not apologizing. I don't believe in Israel advocacy. I believe in identity Zionism. Israel doesn't need a defense attorney. Israel doesn't need justification. Israel is a country that is legitimate, that is proud, that is growing. But what we need, identity Zionism is Pilates. Let's strengthen our core. 
Let's celebrate what unites us. Let's celebrate our values. Let's celebrate how lucky we are to be part of a 3,500-year-old conversation about meaning, about morality, about nationalism, about identity, and to have this amazing 75 or 75-plus-year-old experiment that's figuring out how we take these ideals, which were always in the air for the years in our exile, and make them alive. And I feel so lucky to be sitting here in Jerusalem as part of this amazing network not just to the Jewish people, but think of also how many non-Jews are here in st- trying to learn from Startup Nation, trying to contribute to Startup Nation, not negating our identity, and we're not negating, not, they're not negating their identity, we're not negating our identity, we're proud of who we are, but we use this in Jerusalem as a platform to build and create the 21st century, a 21st century which is as high-tech as it can be, but also is as old-fashioned and traditional as it should be. Alt Neuland, indeed. Uh, Dr. Gil Troy uh, is a columnist at the J-Post, a professor at McGill about American history, and now the author of many times over, but now an author of a new set uh, on Herzl and uh, his writings and his history. Um, thank you very much for joining me, and also I must say, uh, this is an economic and startup conference, and yet you've really brought it back to the core, which is the amazing phenomenon of the rebirth of the Jewish state in the land of Israel, maybe one of the most exciting revelations of of God, of history, of justice. It's the most exciting moment in human history in 2,000 years, not to mention Jewish history. I think you've brought it home to us. Thank you so much for being with us. It's amazing. All right, folks. After the Our Crowd Conference, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm back in the Knesset. It was just a short walk. Beautiful day outside in the Knesset. Very exciting day. Lots of laws are being passed. But in the middle of passing laws, we had to go outside. Uh, the Knesset security people came around and said, everybody's got to go out. But there wasn't any pressure because it was just a targil, uh, just a, um, uh, a test run, a, uh, a drill. That's it, a drill of an earthquake. Uh, so my, my stomach was rumbling. I thought there was an earthquake because I was hungry. But uh, we indeed went outside, came back in. It was a nice sunny day. I saw there my friend Jeremy Sultan, Jeremy Sultan, classic Knesset insider, good friend of our show. And it's fun to sit down with him in the Knesset right now in the meat uh, restaurant of the Knesset. But right now it's not being served, so we're just sitting quietly. Jeremy, uh, am I right? And you told me something when we were outside in the earthquake simulation. You told me uh, nationalist laws, so-called right-wing laws, are being uh, promulgated today, being passed today. Is this a historic day in the Knesset? Are big things happening today? And if yes, what? Would it be corny if I said it was an earthquake? <laughs> You know, in spirit of uh, the drill that we uh, went through today, I really think that it is an earthquake. I mean, this is the first day since the Knesset has started, the 25th Knesset, where we have the Wednesday grind of the preliminary reading bills. Because it's only this week that the Ministerial Committee of Legislative Affairs has started, and with that, you allow the regular MKs to now go ahead and put forth their agendas. I always look at this as a litmus test in terms of what are the things that are going to move forward? What, are, what is the agenda of the coalition coming in? Also, how is the opposition going to go ahead and respond to things? Are they going to look at it based on policy? Are they going to look at it based on coalition opposition lines? And we're looking at the first three bills that came out today. You see, really, a very, very big difference. Again, an earthquake compared to what I've seen from previous ones. Let's start with the first one. The first one was the completion of a process of one of the only bills that was able to be advanced 
um, we'll call it fast track before this new process started. And because of that, we voted in second and third readings, very important bill that gives the ability to the interior minister to both strip the citizenship and expel terrorists outside of the country. Now, hold on, hold on. We're yeah. saying you got a bad guy. He did a bad act, but he was an Israeli citizen. Okay, so we're not talking about in the uh, 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 so-called West Bank, so-called Palestinian under the PA. We're talking about Israeli Arabs, or by the way, it doesn't have to be Arabs. It could be anybody, right, in theory. Um, no, because, I mean, if we go into the committee work that we did, so we specifically chose legislation that does tailor fit this, of course, to um, people who do uh, nationalist uh, you know, uh, crimes according to what we call the terror law. The terror law is very much obviously going in one direction, and it's not a very Jewish one. Okay, and so now they're going to be, in theory, this law says that if we catch you, and you didn't get killed in that, in that terror act that you committed, but you're an Israeli citizen, but we know that you went for a nationalist crime mm-hmm. with, with, a, with a jihadist ideology, you're going to be stripped of your citizenship. Correct. You're, you're first going to be stripped of your citizenship. The second thing is you're going to be uh, taken and expelled from the Israeli territory. Now, in events where you have uh, dual citizenship, and many Palestinians do have, I'm talking about Israeli Arabs as well, they have a second citizenship, you're able to then send them to that other country, whether it's France, Kuwait, whatever that might be. In addition to that, you have people who don't have another citizenship, in those uh, instances, you'll be able to go ahead and throw them into Gaza. Uh, Gaza is, you know, uh, maybe uh, less pleasant than France, but uh, definitely something you can do thanks to this law. Okay, that's law number one. That passed. That is yeah. law. That's uh, law. Right, but, but when we say that's law, that's the law now, but it could be overturned by the Supreme Court. That has been the experience. Yeah, I mean, one of the important things that should be said, this was a very complicated law. This is a law that, again, was not just born in this Knesset. Uh, They've been talking about it for years. There was a special committee, a joint committee, between both the House Committee and the Interior Committee that dealt with this process. There were also um, classified um, meetings in which there were security officials that gave their um, point of view. But in the end, when we're looking at what was done here in the last meeting on this issue, the representative of the attorney general said, this is not something that I can defend in front of the high court. I don't think that this meets the criteria that's necessary in terms of international law. And um, we have that question mark. Will the legal establishment be able to do anything about it? And the second half is, of course, even if that happens, what is the Supreme Court going to say here? Now, what's very interesting, I think this is the most important part of this bill. This bill passed with over 90 MKs voting for, which means this is not a government bill. This is a Knesset bill. This is a bill that was supported by both coalition and opposition by over three-quarters of the House of the Knesset. So if the Supreme Court comes and does decide to overturn it, if the legal advisors decide, that both they're not going to defend it and they're not going to allow us to have private legal rights to defend it, then again, this will be a very, very pivotal moment in terms of the showdown that's going on right now between the branches of government because this is a whole different ballgame. Okay, very exciting. Okay, understood. Okay, so that's law number one. Let's get to law number two and three. Law number two is, I'll call it the continuation of the previous law. And this one says that if you are a member of the family, by member of the family, we're talking about, you know, mother, father, 
uh, brother, sister, son, daughter, who knew about the um, attack that was going to happen, and he didn't do anything about it, or the attack happened, and you decided to go on Facebook and say, this is the best thing of all time. I'm so proud of my son. I hope other people go in his uh, footsteps, and by doing so, encourage terror, that in these circumstances, you'll be able to extend the um, situation of expelling the family outside of the uh, area of Israel. Again, situation of dual citizenship outside. Here, you're not stripping their citizenship, but you will prevent them from being able to have entrance back into the country. Again, those who don't have dual citizenship, you have the option of Aza. So basically, uh, not only are we going to kick out the terrorists, but they're terrorist supporters of their family. Because the, the theory is that these terrorists were raised in that atmosphere, it's a supportive atmosphere, and this is not a crime, but a nationalist, uh, or anti-nationalist in, in this case, a terror movement, an ideological terror movement, that ideology has support in the family, in the community, in the mosque, in the Facebook, and so if we catch you being part of that, then you are a terror aider, terror supporter, and you're out of here. Yeah, again, if you're looking back to the motive of this, if you look at stuff that had been said by the Shin Bet, right, by our security forces, there are two main things that they look at as deterrents. One is the deterrent of destroying the family's house. The second is expelling them, taking them out of their land. Now, some might prefer to just take them from, let's say, Janine and put them in Hebron. There are different levels in terms of what they want to do. But the idea of both going ahead and knocking down the home and then taking the family and getting them out of the town are both things that have been supported. Also, if you're looking at stuff that came from the National Security Council, um, this is something that's been studied. It's a long time that you have people say, this is what you need to do to bring deterrence. Everyone keeps says, what is deterrence? Well, there you go. This is what deterrence means. And it was passed, again, by a, a majority of MKs. I think it was uh, 60-something, again, from both coalition and opposition. And again, that is something that shows you that, you know, and I'll give credit, when you have an MK from Yisrael Beitenu coming up and saying this is a good law, I'm very happy about the law, you know, this is an important thing, and this shows you the type of thing of what happens when you have right-wing MKs who are willing to vote their conscience. That are not necessarily part of the coalition. Okay, but law number three. Law number three is uh, a very special one, I think, for, for a lot of uh, people who have gone through this feeling for a long time. Since the Girush, since the expulsion or the disengagement, as some people call it, in 2005, we've had a situation of trying to cancel that law. Now, look, we're not going to go back to Gaza. That's very obvious. But right now, the four um, areas that were evacuated by force of Ganim, Kadim, Sanur, and Chomesh, right now, according to law, you can't go there. The entire story of Chomesh that we've heard over the last number of years, the yeshiva there, all this situation, we'll now have a situation where, again, this is in preliminary reading. I want to, again, make that distinction. The first one, that's law, that passed third. These two is part of the new um, process that we started of preliminary readings. These are the first two that the coalition decided to put up to vote on. They don't have to deal with the judicial reform. They don't have to deal with the budget. They deal with real right-wing core issues. And again, the idea here is to go ahead and stop, we call it bitulchok, to repeal the law of the disengagement in the area of the northern uh, Shomron, of northern Samaria, to allow Jews to go back to those areas. My army base was uh, next to Sanur. It was, it's called Sanur. It was a paratrooper army base. Very famous, very old. I think a British one. Very old, very beautiful. Uh, and, uh, and it was, it was uh, taken down, destroyed, and dismantled 
uh, because of these laws uh, to see that change is amazing. And just one final uh, question. I want to just also add that here also you had opposition members, even from blue and white, voting for. And this became a very big issue, as uh, we saw reported leaks of the fights within the faction meeting between the MKs and that party that, that voted for right now and those who voted against. So, again, I want to give credit to those in the opposition who voted their conscience and even voted against their own party line on this. Which is so important what you're saying because what you're really saying and what many people don't know is that outside of this coalition, there are many right-wing nationalist Knesset members in different parties who for various reasons didn't join the coalition but are in fact ideologically aligned. The right-wing has is a strong block in the Knesset and now we're seeing they're even crossing coalition lines and opposition lines to vote with the coalition. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I really, I mean, my dream is that we obviously continue in this situation with things where I know, knowing, again, people for so many years that without the coalition opposition lines, it doesn't matter. There are a lot of issues that can be advanced that almost everyone agrees on. And I hope that we see a lot more of this in the weeks to come. Like I said, for me, it's an earthquake because if these are the first three bills coming up on the first full Wednesday this is the full, full Wednesday of the regular Wednesday of having your hot soap list, set your emotions on the agenda and your parliamentary questions at the end of the, the agenda, all those things. The first week of the preliminaries that this is what we're starting with, that is a good start. Amazing. Knesset Jeremy, our, our Knesset insider, Jeremy Sultan, uh, great job. And thank you for being here and explaining all this to us. And indeed, uh, we're feeling that earthquake. And now maybe we can get to dinner and uh, fix that other earthquake. All right, folks, thank you very much. From the Knesset signing off. And Shalom, we'll be right back. This is Yochanan from Germany. Don't worry. God bless you. All the best. Have a lechaim. Ishai Fleischer will be right back. All right, folks, it's been a really fun show, and thank you so much for being with me. And it was fun to have all those guests uh, on the show. And it's, I, I love doing those interviews, and it's just, uh, I, I really hope that you feel at the end of the show that you got a little you know, slice of life of Israel and the thinkers and the people who are making things happen here. And um, I'm just you know, proud to know these people and, and, and meet them along the way. And I'm proud to know you as well. Uh, and uh, we are on a mission together, which is to light up the story of Israel, uh, light up this time and understand what time we're living in, the great gift of this generation, of, of this ability to be part of the rebuilding of Israel. Don't, in my opinion, we should not uh, take this thing lightly. We should really be passionate and excited about it with all of our hearts and use this gift, the greatest gift of them all, which is life, to propel it forward, to propel it forward. And if we indeed, you know, were able to prepare, propel it forward in our life, then I think that then we, you know, lived a full life and, and, and uh, you know, really made, made use of our life in part of a greater story. Um, so thanks to all of those folks that, uh, that were on the show, and thanks to all of our sponsors. And finally, of course, we have, you know, the greatest sponsor of them all, which is Hashem, and it's his decision that, uh, that this is such a great time that we have the schut, the merit, uh, to be alive in this time. It's it's really a gift from him. Um, and so uh, I'd like to just, you know, end the show with a little table Torah and to think about um, the end of this Torah portion of Mishpatim, which is in the book of Shemot, Exodus, and uh, around chapter uh, 22, 23, and 24. And here in 24, chapter 24, Chavdalad, uh, there's a very famous uh, event that happens or a very famous line. Basically, Moshe um, 
wrote all the words of Hashem, he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars for 12 tribes of Israel. He sent the youths of the children of Israel and they brought up elevation offerings and they slaughtered bulls to Hashem as peace, excuse me, as feast peace offerings to Hashem. Now Moses took half the blood and placed it in basins and half the blood he threw on the altar. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the earshot of the people and they said, everything that Hashem has spoken, we will do and we will listen or we will obey. Famous words, Naseh venishma, Naseh venishma. And we, we, we even, the, the kids have a song that goes, Naseh venishma, right? Like that is the Naseh venishma, that little phrase is, uh, it's one of those phrases that if you're, you know, not within our world, you may not know is an important phrase, but Naseh venishma, we will listen, excuse me, we, exactly the opposite. We will do and we will listen a sense that there is first an acceptance of God's commandments as is because he said to do it. And then the nishma, we will hear, means we will contemplate it. We will understand it. We will make, we will, we will make connections. We will try to understand the rationale. Big discussion in Judaism, whether rationale for the mitzvot is integral or not, if you have to understand the rationale or not. But everybody agrees that first and foremost, you have to know that there is a God and he spoke. And when you say that there's a God, then he spoke. And I say, first, Naseh, first I will do, and then I will listen, i.e. understand and, and come up with a rationale for, understand the rationale for things. It means that you basically have a God as opposed to making yourself a God. If you said, Nishma v'naseh, we shall listen, give us rationale and then we'll do it, means to say, I'm God. If it fits my rationality that I understand, then um, you know, th- then I'll do it because it's good for me and because I think it's good, maybe good for society. But that does not mean that you have a God that you are beholden to, that you fear and respect and honor and believe that he's the super intelligence, not us. Moreover, one more point about that, which is all of us change all the time, right? We are ever-changing. Our understanding, I know about myself, my understanding today is not my understanding yesterday. And so, and so, uh, and so if I believe that my rational understanding today is right, but it might change tomorrow. So therefore, you know who, who's, who's God in that case? Uh, whim and circumstance, and whatever I ate that might change my mood or my relationship with my wife, and therefore my service of God may change completely given the whatever circumstance I'm dealing with. And so, uh, and so that is not permanent, and that is not truth with a capital T. Therefore, I say that when we say the words, first we will accept and do, and then we will hearken and then we will contemplate, think, and, 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 and seek deeper understanding and become a deeper people inside. Because, of course, there's another side of things, which is if we're only doing and we're not contemplating and thinking, then we are automatons. We are robots. We are just, you know, we are, just, we, we are, we are no longer sentient beings. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not deep anymore. We're just following. We're just, and also, by the way, we're also angelic in that sense, which is kind of no free will. No, it's not naseh. It's naseh venishma. We still have to be deep people. We still have to think about these things. We still have to, you know, contemplate and study and 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 get to deeper levels. Yes, yes. That's where, 
the the passage of time and the 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 the, the uh, wisdom that accrues through study and through understanding and through passing through levels <clears throat> that's absolutely critical but that's just not first the first is be have a pillar that pillar is i believe in god he is the truth then the rest the nishma is my life the nishma is the rest of the passages of time and the efforts that I that I have in order to get closer to God and to understanding His Torah, His large book. If He didn't want us to contemplate and think, He wouldn't have told us stories. He wouldn't have created brains. He wouldn't have He wouldn't have showed us depth in Torah. Clearly, He wants us to study Torah and to become deeper and proficient in it, and and to contemplate it all the time. And the amazing thing about Torah is that it's an never-ending intellectual pursuit never ending you can you can you can go, go to depths and some great people reach great great depths all that is is true and and you know when i when i look at the torah i'm only i'm always praying to god give me more time to to explore it more deeply and understand it more deeply and, and understand your will more deeply but that is rooted first in naaseh we shall do we should follow you god we will accept your dictates. We'll accept that you are God and that you are the creator. You created our life and that you are, frankly, the most trusted. Your truth is a trusted truth. We could trust God. We can rely on God. We can believe in God. His, his, his truth is truth. His judgment is judgment. And that's and that's the statement that we make when we say, Na sevenishma. So, uh, as... as um, um, as Gentiles and Jews, Jews and Gentiles, everybody out there, but I mean to say why I said Gentiles first is I want everybody to, to hear these words and to say them. Na'aseh v'nishma. Say it that way. Na'aseh v'nishma. Uh, that, of course, is a commandment for the Jew. That's a, the, the Jewish people said that. But I think all of us that want to follow God more nearly uh, should have that consciousness of na'aseh v'nishma. We will follow you, uh, um, and, then, and then we will... Uh, continue in the path of exploring and reaching more depths. But first and foremost, we make you God. You are before us and, and when we follow your ways and your dictates. Folks, uh, God is doing great things in our time and we're part of it. I want to thank you all and send you lots of love and lots of blessings from the land of blessings. Thank you for being with me on this, uh, I think, a special show. Thank you to all the guests uh, that came on the show. Uh, They're beautiful and uh, I want to thank you all uh, for your for your efforts and for your life and for all that you do uh, to be part of Israel and to be part of Hashem's Torah wherever you are whoever you are whatever you are uh, there's lots of love and lots of blessings coming from the land of blessings so God bless you thank you so much and shalom <laughs>